Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Papinski, and today my guest is poet and best-selling author, Maggie Smith. You might have first come to Maggie Smith's writing when her 2016 poem, Good Bones, went viral. She just released a new memoir called You Could Make This Place Beautiful, in which she explores the disintegration of her marriage and her renewed commitment to herself. Maggie Smith is also the award-winning author of the books Good Bones, The Well Speaks of Its Own Poison, Lamp of the Body, and the national bestsellers Goldenrod and Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. A 2011 recipient of a Creative Writing Fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. She's also received several individual excellence awards from the Ohio Arts Council, two Academy of American Poets Prizes, a Pushcart Prize, and fellowships from the Sustainable Arts Foundation and the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. She's been widely published, appearing in the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Paris Review, the Best American Poetry, and more. You can follow her on social media at Maggie Smith Poet. Maggie, thank you so much for being here. It's really an honor to have you on. Oh my gosh, no, thanks for having me. I was mentioning before we started recording, um, I just devoured this book. I loved You Could Make This Place Beautiful so much. It was a reading experience. I won't soon forget just savoring your writing and insights and marking up so many like bits of truth I'd never seen put into words and every other page is dog-eared and uh, note cards spilling out of it. I just, I think listeners are going to really love this book and then probably like me want to go back and slowly reread it again and um, kind of take it all in once more. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to chat about it. Oh, I love that. That's I as I was saying, that's how I read too. So yeah, if, if I, if I'm liking a book, I have to go grab post-its and a pen. Yes. Well, I want to read this one starred book list review because I, I love how they put it. They say, Smith opens her heart like a book, dog earing moments, both painful and joyous. Smith's conjuring of beauty through pain and her special blend of vulnerability and encouragement go down like a healing tonic. Um, I love that. So for anyone who hasn't gotten to pick it up yet or isn't really familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and you could make this place beautiful? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm primarily a poet. So that's, you know, the first few books I published were all poetry. And I, I think of that as my home genre, you know, when I get an idea, whether it's an image or a metaphor, or I hear a line in my head, my instinct is to make that thing a poem. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes the, the writing starts, and I realize that I'm going to need a different um, container <laughs> for that idea. And so with this book in particular, um, I approached the writing of the memoir as a poet, which is why the form is what it is. Um, but I knew I would need more real estate, right? Like I needed more space in order to really tell the story and process it. Um, and so the book itself is really, um, if Keep Moving, my last um, my last book of prose was really about looking forward, kind of pressing forward and holding on to resilience and optimism during a tough time. I think this one is like looking back, right, as memoirs do. It's sort of a reckoning with the past and trying through the process of writing to figure out how I got to where I am now all the choices and decisions and paths taken and paths not taken that got me to where I am now in my life. 
and sort of coming to peace with it and healing in the present so that I can, I can move forward more confidently into the future. I, I would imagine with a memoir, it's probably difficult to figure out where to start and which pieces of the story to include, how much time to cover. Did you sort of know at the outset kind of where the book would go or did that kind of unfold more organically as you were writing? Definitely more organically. I mean, I, I, I really do approach every piece of writing not having any idea what's going to happen. And, and that goes for a poem, an essay, a book review, uh, I think maybe my emails are slightly more planned out, I hope, but um, <laughs> most pieces of creative writing, I don't know. And the, the act of writing itself is an act of discovery. And if I'm, if I'm doing that authentically, I think that discovery ends up um, sort of rubbing off on the reader, if that makes sense, that you kind of mm-hmm. feel that sort of revelations are happening or that things are, are unfolding in real time as you read. And I, I didn't want to sort of have the whole thing outlined, processed, mapped out, packaged, boxed, gift wrapped, and then hand that to the reader. I really wanted the reader to sort of not just get the story, but feel the story and feel what the experience was like. Um, and the, the vignette form and some of the threads going through the book. I mean, that to me was sort of the most psychologically true way that I could approach it. And I, I really did approach it almost like a collection of poems where I wrote all of the pieces and then had to sort of sit down and literally spread pages on my living room floor and try to figure oh, wow. out okay, what comes first, what comes second, where do I want this to go? Um, you know, color coding markers may have been involved. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. I know. I think sometimes we think the writing must just sort of like flow out in that order. That's interesting how you kind of are are piecing it all together. And I'm curious too, like, because you have to put out, um, it's so personal and anything you're struggling with, I know you're going into the end of your marriage and reflections on motherhood and all of these things. Is it hard for you to kind of separate, you know, I'm writing this and this is how I want it to be versus, Ooh, should I tweak this or change that because it's going out into the world? Like, do you, do you worry about that? Like going out into the world part? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's, who's published a memoir or even personal essays who doesn't at one point think like, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think there's, there's that sort of like feeling of um, free fall when that leap happens. And that, that to me feels normal. If, if I didn't have that concern at all, then I think it would mean I wasn't taking any risks in the work Mm. or being authentic Mm. or vulnerable in the work. If it's easy to show a piece of personal writing to a lot of other people, then maybe I haven't gone there in the piece Mm -hmm. of writing. And so the balance for me is how do I stay authentic, stay honest, but also only speak for myself, not put words in anyone else's mouth, be sensitive to the fact that other people are involved And, um, you know, have boundaries in writing as I do in life. And that's, that's an important thing, you know, that's 
I think a lot about um, what our expectations are as readers of life writing, like memoir or personal essay. And I think sometimes we we think we are owed more from the person than we are. You know, what do we what do we owe our readers? What are we owed when we open a book about someone else's life? And what do they get to kind of curate and keep to themselves if they wish because it's their life? And so that that was something, as you can tell from reading it, that I was really um, thinking front of mind about while I was working on this book. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I know there's different times where you're sort of like, nope, reader, you're not you're not hearing that conversation or this conversation. That's such an interesting way to think of it too, as like boundaries in your writing. Um, I love that. Well, one of the things I connected so much with and just kept marking up, the way you write about motherhood and um, your love for your kids and just turning those small moments and kind of the tight knit world of our mother and her young children, um, which I think can feel kind of mundane when you're in it into art. I just, uh, I underline so much of that. I have um, a girl and a boy myself and the girl is older, the boy is younger like you. And so there were so many moments where it's like, Oh yes, that and this. And um, there was one line in particular I was hoping to have you talk about. He said, the long pink line where my daughter left my body, then my son tells a story. A door opened, then shut, then opened and shut again. But I have stood ajar since the moment I became a mother. Could you talk about that standing ajar since you became a mother line a little bit? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just radical openness, isn't it? Like um, something, I think of parenthood for me has felt like a huge existential shift from sort of caring for myself in the world and being in charge of myself in the world to um, having to shepherd, getting to shepherd these two remarkable human beings um, through the beginning of their lives until they until they leave here and and get to go off and and do all of the wonderful things they'll get to do. But it really does feel. Um, like an extreme kind of vulnerability that I brought upon myself, right? Like I chose, I chose to stand ajar. I chose to be this open and it can be painful. Um, I can't fix everything for them. Mm -hmm. I can't, um, I cannot protect them from everything, even knowledge, you know, in good bones, I talk about, um, you know, the things I keep from my children about, the world, the difficult truths in the world. And, and I can't really do that anymore. I mean, that poem I wrote in yeah, 2015. Yeah. So imagine, you know, it's much easier to keep things from a two-year-old and a six-year-old than it is from a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old, yeah. particularly when the 14-year-old has a phone and gets news alerts, as you oh, and I do, right? Yeah. So, so there's no should I tell them about the latest school shooting or should I tell them about, um, you know, the drilling project in Alaska? Should I tell them about whatever the thing is? They know, they know. And so the, the sort of like radical openness that mothering requires is like such a profound gift, I think. Um, And it's also, one of the most difficult things, you know, it's like, well, what's the cliche that having kids is like 
having your heart walking around outside of your body. And I, I think that's, that's really, that's really what it is. That kind of like, I'm always um, parts of me and, and in some ways, like the most important parts of me, I care most about live inside of these other people. Um, and, and that, that is, well, I don't have to tell you what that's like, you know, no, but you put it into the best words. And the other nugget around that, where I just was like, yes, this is it, where you're saying, like, parenting is work. All the things that go into parenting, the loving them is not work. I, I loved that distinction. Like, yes, parenting is very hard, but the love, like, that, you know, that just comes. And and then I was curious, too, because you're – you. Um, also really give voice to the experience of mothering during the pandemic. And you write about, I think moms crying in bathrooms during the pandemic could be a coffee table book, a very sick one. And that is so true. And so I wondered, you know, did your writing process change during the pandemic? I know you had much less time to write or anything that has kind of remained different about kind of the way you write or your work since that time. You know, I have worked um, at home since 2011. So I've been working from home in this little office in my house um, for years and years. So the the one real change for me during um, sort of peak pandemic, I'm, I'm like reluctant to talk about it in past tense as I see people still getting ill around me constantly. Um, peak pandemic was different for me because my children were in my house. So... Uh, instead of being able to write here at home when they went off to school, I was, you know, a second grade teacher's aide at my dining room table while my older child was in my office with the doors closed. Um, so it really was, it really was time and not only time, but headspace. I mean, so mm-hmm. much of that, especially 2020, so much of the beginning when we really didn't know what was going on, how long it would last what the risks were, you know, we were wiping down our mail, like no one really knew what to do to, to avoid it effectively. Um, You know, and pre, pre vaccine in particular, even if I had the time, I don't think I had the headspace to sit down and work on a poem or an essay or a piece of, of this memoir. I just was so occupied thinking about how do I keep us all safe? Mm-hmm. What are we, what's tomorrow going to be like? Um, that kind of, that kind of thinking is uh, not really conducive to sort of creative headspace when you're in survival mode, which I think we all were in that, in that time. And yeah. since they've been able to go back to school, then things have opened up for me a little bit more and things feel somewhat calmer and and more peaceful. And I'm able to tap into into that headspace a little bit more because what I really need to write is enough time to look like I'm doing nothing. Like it looks like I'm zoning out, but really <laughs> that's when the, the like the little, the little word factory is actually going full steam. Even when I look like I'm doing absolutely nothing and I'm sort of staring into the middle distance, but I need enough time and space to be able to kind of not check email not be doing laundry, not be unloading the dishwasher, not be helping with homework, not be dealing with the dog. You know, I need, 
I need a little bubble or a snow globe in order to do that. And, and pandemic time was not really a snow globe time uh, in that way. We were in bubbles, but not the kind of bubble I needed to write. Right. Well, you're reminding me too. I remember hearing something during, I'll, I'll use your phrase, peak pandemic, where it was like, um, this could be a wonderful time for some people to write that novel they've always wanted. Or, oh, you know, in the past, you know, there have been plagues that have produced this amazing work. And like, collectively, <laughs> I feel like mothers who try to write are just like, we're in two different worlds. <laughs> well, as you're talking about kind of needing that um, time to sort of let things kind of percolate and everything as, as you have some time um, to focus on writing. I'm curious, do you kind of have in mind as you're working like, okay, this is going to be for this project or this is going to be for that project? Or is it more like you're writing like in a notebook and things end up going different places as just like different poems come to you? What is your process like? Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes know if I, you know, if it comes out a poem, then it's probably going to go into my my uh, folder on my desktop that I think is called Next Book Maybe, <laughs> which is optimistic and yet cautiously optimistic. Um, and so if it's a poem, it goes into one big uh, folder and all the Word docs go in there and I continue to revise them until they're done. And when they're done, I send them out to magazines. And then at a certain point, I'll just print everything in that folder that I think is finished. And I might have a book to carve out of all of that somewhere. You know, it might be over a hundred poems and there might be a 60 poem book in there, or there might only be 40 that want to live together. And I know I need to keep going to finish it. It's, it's hard to know. I mean, a, a book is not just the number of poems that would make the right page count. Like in my mind, they have to really hang together in a way that feels intuitively right to me. But if I'm working on something else, it might be an essay that about the teaching of writing or about creativity or about parenting or something else. And then it, it just sort of lives in another kind of miscellaneous place where I'm not quite sure where it will go. Maybe it will become a different kind of book. Maybe it will just get sent out to a journal. I don't know. Um, but I, I do keep sort of the poems and then the prose writing separate because I know that probably they're going to end up becoming separate beasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, I want to recommend another I think you'll love, Thoughts from a Page with Cindy Burnett. Cindy is a voracious reader and book columnist who gets the inside scoop from authors about their new releases and chats with others in the book industry about the latest and greatest reads. With so many books coming out each week, it can be hard to decide what to read. Cindy finds some of the best ones and shares them with her listeners. A few of her upcoming episodes include Megan Miranda, author of The Only Survivors, Brendan Janowitz on the Audrey Hepburn estate, and Rory Campbell discussing There Will Be Fire. I hope you check out Thoughts from a Page. Listen on your favorite podcast app today. Thinking back a little bit to kind of your path to becoming a poet, I know sort of a, a big moment that, you know, we're all aware of is when Good Bones went viral and Meryl Streep read it in front of an audience and kind of all this excitement. And you write sort of, because everyone would say like, oh, what a life-changing thing. You write the things we call life-changing are 
and aren't. Could you talk about that a little bit and sort of how Good Bones and that whole experience maybe like did or didn't change your your writing life and I guess your personal life too, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it, it did change my life in in some ways. And yet my life still looks in most sort of measurable ways, much the same, right? Like I'm still working in this office, I'm still sending my kids off to school, I have the same the same dog, the same daily routine. I mean, it, it didn't completely, it wasn't a whole life makeover, right? Because of that poem going viral. Um, but it did, it did open up new things for me professionally, which was really exciting, right? I mean, there were people in my neighborhood up until, up until that point who didn't know I was a writer, <laughs> So um, I was like someone who pushed a, a toddler in a stroller. And so um, when some of the, the news pieces came out about that poem, I had neighbors who would come up to me and be like, I had no idea that you were a writer. Like, I, I thought you were a stay at home mom. And I was like, well, at the time I was, I was like, I am, I'm, I'm a write at home mom. I'm a work at home mom. Like I'm both. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the truth of it. I'm both. Um, and it also, you know, as I write about in the book, I think it was not great for my marriage, that poem um, becoming as big as it did. And so it's, I have a really, um, I have a kind of complicated relationship with the poem um, for, for lots of reasons. And part of the reason I wanted to title the memoir, the last sentence of that poem, You Could Make This Place Beautiful, was in a way to reclaim it, you know, that poem is shared widely when terrible things happen. When my social media mentions start ramping up, chances are it's because of good bones and chances are it's because it's being shared in the wake of some tragedy and people are sharing it as a way of offering comfort to others, which is a beautiful thing um, and meaningful to me. But it also appeals to me that maybe there there could be people who are introduced to the poem, perhaps through this book, mm-hmm. in a completely different context that has nothing to do with tragedy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I think that just that whole line, you could make this place beautiful. Um, I don't know, just from a parenting perspective, I feel like dwelling on that part I don't know. I just, I just really like that and thinking about that for, for our kids. Well, I'm kind of curious for you, like who are the writers and poets that kind of inspire you or where you have those, like I'm marking up every sentence, like aha um, moments as you're reading um, kind of who are those people for you? Oh my gosh. So many. I'm in a room full of my bookshelves so I can turn around and just see all of my poetry books behind me. And I guarantee you, if I picked up any book off of this shelf, it would be dog-eared and would probably have penned or penciled notes written in the margins. I mean, that's, that's how I read. I'm trying to think of what, what I've been reading lately that I've, that I've loved. Um, I really dipped into memoir through the writing of, of you could make this place beautiful, an essay, just because I thought, you know, I really want to fill my head with prose and the rhythms of mm. prose as I enter writing this book. Um, so uh, the man who could move clouds 
by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. Oh my gosh. I mean, she's not a poet, but she is. It's a book of prose. It's a memoir and it's absolutely gorgeous on the sentence level, on the structure level. It's a magical book. That one I just absolutely devoured. Um, and I, I recently read um, poet Ross Gay's uh, latest book of essays, Inciting Joy. Highly recommend. A beautiful book. Oh, I'll definitely link to those and have to check them out. You wrote about, I think this was an inter- in an interview, that when you uh, first started writing, you said you had a clearer delineation in your mind of what a poem should be and what a poem should sound like. And that that really kind of changed over time, maybe as you found your voice. Could you talk a little bit about maybe how your writing has evolved? Yeah, it's funny. I think the poems I'm writing now, and in particular, um, the poems in my last book of poems, Goldenrod, to me, they sound more like me um, than the poems in, say, my first book, which I wrote in my early to mid-20s. And most of the poems in my first book, I also wrote as an MFA student. So I was in graduate school, taking workshops, reading poems, trying to figure out how to be a quote unquote real poet, right? And so when I look back at those really early poems, in some ways they sound more quote poetic to me, um, a little bit even more formal to me in diction and word choice in sentence structure. Um, and the poems that I'm, I'm writing now and have been writing over the past few years, I think are a little bit more relaxed. Um, mm-hmm. They have more digressions or asides or interruptions in them where if I'm writing a poem and I get an idea that's like, oh, wait a minute, on second thought, what if it's like this? I actually let that live in the poem instead of doing all of the thinking off the page and then, again, offering the reader, the sort of finished packaged product. Mm. So it's, it's more about, I think, I think this is a, I think this honestly is like a maturity middle age thing for me. It's being more comfortable letting my life into my writing, my real life. Um, You know, the, the sort of seemingly mundane parts of mothering and living And then also letting my speech patterns and way of thinking more into my poems uh, now. And, and, and I don't know, I think it'd be interesting to look at all of the books as a sort of evolution and see, um, see how much more of like conversational Maggie comes out in, in more recent poems. Cause I'm just like, you know what? It, it doesn't have to sound quote unquote poetic. Like I, I get to decide that for myself and I can be myself in the poem and I can think out loud in the poem. And these are all things that I can offer to the reader. And maybe doing that in my work now will give a poet who's maybe like me in my twenties, you know, just starting out, give that poet, that young poet permission to do things a different way. And right. to not think of, of life as maybe encroaching on poetry, but to be able to sort of integrate the, the daily life and, and the practice of writing. I love that. And the whole idea of, like, who gets to decide what the topic of a poem is and who's to say 
what's mundane? Like, is it mundane because it's part of like women's daily lives? I mean, I loved the, um, so much of just sort of the hearing about in, in this book, like the daily rhythm of, um, let your life with the young kids. Cause it was so, um, relatable and putting into words experiences that, um, are mundane, but they're also, um, kind of magical too in their own way. And so it was nice to kind of hear someone give that some attention in art. I just, yeah. I, I really loved that. Um, oh, I'm so glad. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like we, when we think about what, you know, what is great literature, you know, capital G, capital L, I think so often what we think about is what we were taught. And it really does go back to primarily men's experiences. Right. And so, and the magic is in the little things. I mean, and poetry taught me that. So um, I love that. I love that that's something that you gleaned from this book. Yeah. And I guess just lastly, I'm sure... You know, I'm not the only one coming with feedback of like how much the book meant to me and maybe just your um, your writing in general, because I know the book is so new. But are you are you, are you do you have any particular like feedback that has really stuck with you from readers or like um, things people have said to you that have meant a lot um, that you still think about? Oh, my gosh. When um, the terrific writer Alyssa Nutting, who blurbed the book. Um, was reading it, she was messaging me throughout her read of the book. <laughs> so I would get, you know, I would get a message like, oh my gosh, I just got to this part. And then a little bit later, I'm crying. I can't believe, you know, we have this in common or I can't believe this. And and ha- being able to sort of track with someone through their read of the book and have them feel compelled to reach out about these different touch points was so um, meaningful to me. Um, I think in the end, she called the book a cathartic miracle. And I just thought there's nothing better than that. Like, I don't know. I don't even know. I did not even pay her to say that. (laughs) Like it just (laughs) absolutely blew my mind. And so honestly, that's the kind of feedback that I get that means the most to me. And it's, it's really just comes down to people reaching out and saying, this book made me feel less alone or made me feel seen or made me mm-hmm. like I recognize myself in it or I recognize my parenting experience in it or I realized, you know, that that these things are worth talking about. Um, those kinds of personal connections always mean mean more to me than, say, a review, you know? Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, Maggie Smith, thank you so much for coming on. I really hope that listeners go pick up. You could make this place beautiful at their local bookstore. Um, get those library holds in. It really is just a magical reading experience. And I know I'm going to treasure my copy for a very long time. So just thank you so much for coming on. And best of luck um, as you keep bringing it out into the world. Oh, thank you. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.